Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of This Is Your Captain Speaking. Today I'm super excited to have uh, somebody on that's got a, a good wealth of marketing experience here and also some companies that I've directly come into contact with over the past couple of years just from the marketing efforts that you've probably been behind actually but uh, we'll get into that now in a moment so my next guest here is uh, Kathleen Boo she has 20 years plus in marketing alone experience and then some other experience in other areas she's been a consultant a CEO VP of marketing three times advisory advisory board member and CMO and right now she's now the senior vice president of marketing at a company called Tradeswell they do real-time e-commerce intelligence that helps transform those data into insights there's one particular company, as I mentioned before, Kathleen, that I came into quite a bit of uh, quite a bit of your marketing in the past was Impact. So that was uh, an inbound organization that was a, like one of the the main partners of HubSpot way or a few years back, correct? Yeah, yeah, it was. I, it, it was and it is. Yes, they're one of HubSpot's top global partners. So that's unbelievable to get there. But seriously, when I seen Impact on your profile, I was like, oh, I know these guys really. Like they were hounding me with marketing for a number <laughs> of years so i guess you were behind that so you did a good job because it, it i never worked together with impact but i know them <laughs> so so yeah well done <laughs> thank you <laughs> so look kathleen like it's it's great to have you on like tell us a little bit about what you're currently doing now over at tradeswell yeah so i joined tradeswell in early january so just a few months ago and it is a, I tend to go in to early stage companies. I, I used to own an agency for 11 years. And so it's hard for me to kick that entrepreneurial habit. Um, so I, I like going in early stage and building marketing teams and building marketing strategies and, and frameworks. And so I came in on January 3rd, hired a team that started February 22nd. And I would say quarter one was really all about building that strong foundation, getting our marketing ops in place, figuring out our ideal customer profile and how we were going to go to market. We had a big event that we sponsored at the end of the first quarter, which was a, a forcing function for us to get a lot of that done. And now that that's over, we're really regrouping and thinking about, okay, we have these building blocks in place. How are we really going to scale it? And, and a couple of the very exciting things that we're working on, um, some of which build on my experience at Impact are we, a few weeks ago, we launched a, a media property called The Current, uh, which is at thecurrent.media. And it's a fully fledged e-commerce media site that Tradeswell has created um, to try and give e-commerce practitioners a, a really a home base on the internet. So about 20% of the content is originally created by us. And we have a professional journalist editor who's running it. And then the other 80% of the content is curated. So we're not trying to compete with all the other media sites out there. In fact, we're feeding a lot of their content through our site, um, to try to, again, give people one place they can go to get all the information they're looking for. So we launched that. And in the next week or two, we're going to be launching a community, um, so I'm really excited because I'm, I'm pretty passionate about B2B companies needing to, to leverage that media mindset and combine it with community to create really a flywheel for massive audience growth. I love that media house aspect and I'm seeing it pop up more and more nowadays. I mean, it's not that it's, it's, you don't see it that often, but it's, it's cool when you see it. So I've seen a couple of other companies that have done similar things like sales hacker, for example, have done the same thing where they created their own media house. I know that that Tyler who's the, the VP of marketing over at Vidyard. He's also created a, like a, a sales media house as well. So it's, it's, that's a super interesting route to take. Let's focus on that for just a sec. How difficult is it to do that? 
You know, I wouldn't say it's difficult per se. You just need organizational buy-in and, and we're proof, right? Like we were founded in 2019. We're a series A startup. And a lot of the examples you see out there of companies that are doing this are, are big and they have deep pockets. Like some of the um, more well-known examples I would point to are, you know, that did it through acquisition are companies like HubSpot, which acquired the hustle. Um, or you see Recorded Future, which is a really big cybersecurity company. They have a, a property called The Record, and they actually hired Dina Temple Raston out of NPR to host their podcast, you know, and I wish we all had the budget for that sort of thing. But you don't need to, you don't need to have those kinds of budgets uh, to be able to do it. And there are examples out there of, of smaller companies that are doing this well. Vidyard, I would say, is kind of in the middle. They're, they're a little bigger, but Tyler does amazing work and super forward thinking. Um, another one is ProfitWell. Patrick Campbell, the founder there, is a really big proponent of this approach. And then, like I said, I mean, I'm hoping that we'll be a great example for it because we're, we're very small, just um, three years old and, and a small team. But if you look at the, the current, it is a very professional looking fully fleshed out site with a ton of content in it. And so I'm really, really proud of what our team's been able to do. And I would say that the factor that led to our success is that our CEO is very bought into this approach and was willing to uh, invest in hiring a professional to run that property. So it's not just a marketing vehicle. Truly, we have the former editor of Technically Baltimore, which is a startup publication who we brought in. He's a professionally trained journalist editor and he is not just creating content, he's editing and curating and making sure that there's a degree of journalistic independence on that site um, that to really lend it the credibility that it needs. Got it. So actually, so he's the, he's the person that owns that alongside marketing, but he's the person that's making sure that the day-to-day -day of that is being run well. Yeah, he's actually a product owner within the company. Okay. So we have our software platform that has product owners, and then we have our media platform that has a product owner. And then we as the marketing team are really charged with marketing both of them. So it's user acquisition for the platform and it's subscriber acquisition for the, the media property. Amazing. Where, where did you launch? Uh, oh my gosh, I think it was March 28th. Okay, March 28th. <laughs> yeah, it was, I'm trying to remember dates because we were at Shop Talk, which is a big industry event when it yeah. happened. And so it's all a big blur in my head, but I feel like it was two weeks ago, if that makes oh sense. Oh my gosh, you had a big product launch at the same time as Shop Talk. Right? Oh, we, we packed a lot in at once, you know, oh, when geez. it rains, it pours. <laughs> Uh, that's 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 tech though right that's how it works yeah and that's uh, also startups i feel like you're you're always doing a million things at once spinning many many plates that's uh that's for sure and how, how's the current currently performing i guess uh, you've mentioned subscribers there like have you seen good subscriber growth over the past month yeah, I mean, we've we've really had a nice initial flurry of interest right out of the gate. Um, and part of that was driven by our announcement that we made at Shop Talk about it. Part of it was driven by the fact that Stephen, our editor, was at Shop Talk, like literally covering the event. So he was writing articles featuring some of the companies that were there and the big announcements they were making. And that gave us some attention. And then, um, you know, and then it's also our early efforts of beginning to market it. And we're really just getting started. You know, we did a newsletter sponsorship to promote it and we're going to start launching ads. So we have a lot of things that are about to go live and, and um, you know, our goal before the end of this quarter is to have a thousand subscribers and to, you know, to scale from there. And we'll see at that point 
what kind of momentum we're getting. I'm hoping that a thousand is a conservative objective. Uh, that's amazing. It sounds like it's it's a super interesting thing for me because I'm, as I said, it's it's not that common still. I think it's going to get more common over the next years, but it's really cool to see pioneers taking that forward like yourself. So really well done there. And as you mentioned something there just around a newsletter sponsorship as well to try to get subscribers up. That that paid media piece I've found over the years is awesome. It's almost like a, it's a bit expensive, right? So just for listeners that don't know what we're talking about, there are companies out there that you basically give you access to their database and you're able to, they send an email on your behalf. Either you have a dedicated standalone email or maybe you have an ad within a larger newsletter. Typically the standalone emails are more expensive than the just the ads within a newsletter, standalone clearly because it's just you in there. You can drive people to white paper downloads. You can drive people to sign up for, for example, what, what Kathleen is talking about here to be a subscriber uh, for the current, for example. But I've always found those things and in particular for what you're trying to achieve now, this must be a really good channel because I've always found with, with paid media, it's a bit like a sugar rush. You get this big on wave and then it dies off very quickly, but it, the immediate action and that immediate like transactional thing is, is really, is, is really good. Have you found those popular for, for trying to promote this? Yeah. So I've been doing a lot of testing with newsletter sponsorships in particular. Um, and I've used them for a bunch of different things. I've tested it out for driving more top of funnel awareness to some like educational content or thought leadership. I've tested it for direct bottom of funnel, you know, requested demo or free trial calls to action. And then for this, which is really to subscribe to a publication. And uh, it's, it's great for subscribe to a publication because that's a very easy ask. And what's nice about it is you talk about the sugar rush if it's a download or if it's a demo request, it's a one-time thing. Whereas when you get a subscriber, you're, you're getting an interaction that's going to carry you forward. Um, the other thing I will say about it though, is that, you know, when I, when I say newsletter advertising, that is a pretty vast universe. And there are some big newsletters, like I mentioned the hustle earlier, or there's morning brew or industry dive. And, and these are great publications that you can get a lot of traction with, but they're very expensive to advertise with. And so um, I think those are opportunities that are good to take advantage of when you have really nailed your messaging, when you have a call to action that you know it works and is going to get a response, and all you really need is to get it in front of a larger audience, that's a great option. We're early stage, we're still testing our messaging, we're still working out which CTAs are going to get responses, and so what I've gotten great results with is sponsoring really niche newsletters that tend to be like Substacks or, or the like. So they're creator newsletters and we sell into e-commerce. And so in my case, what I've found is that there's there are different e-commerce operators out there. Often they're like the head of marketing for a really successful e-commerce brand or a founder. And they have a Substack newsletter where they talk about kind of, it's like building in public. They're sharing their lessons learned and they develop these really passionate followings of other e-commerce practitioners and they might have a small list of call it two to 5,000 people, sometimes even smaller. But because of that, advertising in those newsletters can start at like two to $300 an issue. And it's so it's very inexpensive, which makes it a, a completely worthwhile risk to take. But it also, the, the key to it is that because it's creator newsletters and not like a branded newsletter, like a morning brew or a hustle, the open rates tend to be much, much higher. So a lot of the creator newsletters that I'm talking to have open rates that approach 
and click-through rates that are pretty high. And it's because people are following the newsletter because it's written by a person and there's a different relationship and degree of loyalty. And so that's just, that's like a, a little kind of thing that I, that I've, found that I've had tremendous success with. And I, there's interestingly enough, there's platforms that are now popping up to support advertising in those niche creative newsletters. And so it's creator newsletters, excuse me. That's great. That's, that's super interesting. Actually, I'm going to start looking into these myself as well. Actually, I haven't, I haven't gone down that route before just because it's, I, I'd imagine it's quite a lot of, uh, it's quite research intensive, right? So you need to be figuring out who these people are. Do you have some of the other teams to do that for you? Actually, I've been doing it myself because I've I literally started doing this because I was following a lot of different e-commerce thought leaders on Twitter and they would mention their sub stacks and I would look at their newsletter and I would think, oh, well, this seems like a great way to get in front of a good a qualified audience. But for anybody who hasn't done this before, what I would say is there are really good platforms. There's one called Swapstack, which is literally a marketplace um for you know substack newsletter authors um and you could go in and search by topic or by keyword and it'll list all the substacks that meet your criteria and they're all they are all newsletters that take advertising because the newsletter authors have posted their newsletter on this marketplace because they want advertisers and so it's sort of like tinder for advertisers and and substack authors and then there's another one called paved which is paved.com. And that is very similar, but I think it's for more than just Substack. And so there's an increasing number of these platforms popping up to service exactly this need. And you can do it either on an individual newsletter basis, or you can set up campaigns where they will almost programmatically place your ad in different newsletters based on whatever criteria you set up. Very nice. That's awesome. Okay. I, I will be checking these out afterwards. Thank you so much for that. It's actually a great tip. Um, I just want to focus on one thing. So you mentioned at the start of the interview that, um, that you started building the team like early this year and you've just, you've got the team now up and running. So you've, how many people have you hired and who are those people? Like what positions so I hired have you hired? Three, yeah. Three people because we are still small. So, sure. um, you know, we're building slowly. But um, I would the three people I, I brought in, one is a director of product marketing, the other is a director of growth, and then I have a content marketing manager who's, who's probably approaching director level soon. Um, and they're awesome. And every one of them, you know, it's, it's a four person team, myself included. And so even though they have director titles, I hired people who were all really excited to be in the startup world. Either they were coming out of another startup or they were in... Um, you know, a, a larger company and wanted to get back into the startup world to be able to, you know, have their hands kind of more dirty. And so that's exactly what I have is I have a team of people who are very good strategists, but who are also really interested in doing the work as well and executing and capable of it, which I think is important at this stage. Absolutely. There's nothing worse than having somebody in a, in a startup that's got lots of experience, but is not interested in rolling up their sleeves. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, that's that's great. And um, tell me a, a little bit um, just around like some of the technology that you guys are using. So your startup, I guess, like your Series A, as you mentioned, so money is somewhat tight. Uh, what's what's your tech stack look like? So we use Salesforce for our CRM. Uh, we use HubSpot for our marketing automation. We do use some of the sales tools in HubSpot as well. Um, and then, you know, it's all the usual smaller kind of platforms like Canva, which I love passionately and, um, you know, SEMrush and Hotjar and um, things like that. So 
Good. So that SF or that's SFDC. So salesforce.com. I always call it SFDC. That Salesforce to, to HubSpot integration is great as well. Like I, yeah. that's the strongest integration between a CRM and a marketing automation tool in my mind, even better than the integration from one of, I haven't been a, a user of Salesforce marketing cloud or Pardot, but from what I've heard from users, it's not great. No, I have uh, heard nothing good about it. <laughs> so, so you've just you've just solidified that point. But yeah. it's so I heard a story once, and this this may or may not be true, but I, I heard it from a very reliable source that HubSpot actually originally built their their entire package or the entire product so that at some point they could be acquired by Salesforce. So and I don't know if that's true, but I can confirm that. HubSpot in the beginning actually used, well, for a very long time, used Salesforce as its CRM and HubSpot and, and Salesforce had a, had a written cooperation agreement from very early days where, so that HubSpot would have a really well-built native integration with Salesforce. So it wouldn't surprise me if that were the case. And I think at one point the HubSpot guys were like, oh, this, this is not going to happen. We need to start our own CRM. And that's where <laughs> the initial CRM product came from. There's a super interesting book, actually, um, that's called Disrupted uh, by Dan Lyons. I don't know if you've read it. It doesn't speak about HubSpot very highly, but it's about HubSpot from a long, long time ago. It's, it's, it's I will different. say this. I, I know of the book. I haven't read it um, because I was a HubSpot partner for 11 years and we were pretty high up in the partner ecosystem. So I've spent a lot of time like actually at HubSpot HQ. I knew those people really, really well. A lot of the people even mentioned in the book. I think there were some sour grapes in that book. I'll be honest, because sure, I sure. know that team at HubSpot and it was, I mean, it was and still is to this day, an awesome place. And everybody I know who's ever worked there just has nothing but great things to say about it. So I'm sure there were some elements in there that were true, but I don't know. Having worked in a tech startup or many tech startups as well, a lot of the things that were in there was like, that's pretty much par for course. And I, I think the, the other was coming from a completely different environment in terms of like what the expectations were, the, yeah. how solid a company was founded and so on. And, and the, the structure and layers within the organization and so on were just completely different. But yeah, yeah I, I agree with you there. Let's, let's, not, let's not focus on that <laughs> We can much. go down a rabbit hole on that oh, one. Oh, right? for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure. But just to go back to that point, I think the Salesforce to HubSpot integration, as you said, that like the fact that they built that custom integration early on, it's so seamless. Like you can set up HubSpot and Salesforce within minutes. And yeah. basically you've, you've mirrored both databases and they talk so well to one another. So my recommendation is always, if you're looking for a solid CRM on the sales side, always go with Salesforce because Salesforce is the best, in my opinion. If you want a solid marketing automation tool that has all the bells and whistles, that's for a small marketing team as well to be able to get up to speed quickly, HubSpot is your choice, has to be, right? Yeah. So I just wish that Salesforce would make the platform more user-friendly. It does a lot, but man, it's complicated, <laughs> which is a bummer. But it, the problem with Salesforce as well is I, I find that that you need to have an administrator that's able to yeah. like keep everything like keep everything in line so that it doesn't turn into this complete utter mess, which you don't need on the HubSpot side. Right. The question is Salesforce Classic was much worse for that, in my opinion. Like because Salesforce Classic was so hard to change anything, whereas with Lightning, 
it became a lot more easy to be able to, to get things customized and different things. But at the same time, you can destroy a Salesforce instance very quickly. It's, it's, it's tricky. I agree. Oh yeah. It's, it's built for the enterprise. That's the thing. And I know they're, they're operating across a number of different, different segments, but the, it's really the initial roots are in the enterprise. And that's probably why we're seeing that. Right. And it's also built for the key distinction I would say is that Salesforce is built for the sales manager because it's really built to be able to extract reports and data versus HubSpot, which is more built for the rep. So, you know, those are trade-offs and, and depending upon what stage you're at, that's why I think you see a lot of early stage companies using HubSpot because they don't tend to have robust sales management in place. And so they're, they've picked HubSpot as their CRM because it's more rep friendly. And then when they get to the stage where they have more sales management or leadership, they, that's when you see a lot of companies tend to migrate over to Salesforce. For sure. For sure. Well, look, Kathleen, we're after coming to the end of our couple of minutes here. It's after flying by. So I'd just like to thank you for your time. It's been really nice and interesting speaking with you and uh, yeah, where can people find you? So a couple of places, um, you can certainly head to tradeswell.com if you want to see what I'm up to there, or of course the current.media if you want to see our media site. And then uh, if you want to reach out to me personally, you can either come to my website, which is kathleen-booth.com, or you can connect with, connect with me on LinkedIn, where I will definitely uh, accept your request and I'm happy to chat. Perfect. I'll make sure that everything is shared in the, in the description as well. Make sure that you're linked to your LinkedIn profile and your website, et cetera. Kathleen, it's been really, really nice speaking with you. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me, Andy. For sure. Guys, this has been another episode of This Your Captain Speaking. Uh, looking forward to speaking with you again next week.